Welcome to Tech London, a show featuring interviews with London's top creative entrepreneurs, startups, investors, design agencies, internet marketers, and freelancers that make up the Tech London online community, which mostly lives on the Slack instant messaging platform. We rotate through both hosts and guests for these interviews, so you have the chance to hear from multiple perspectives on London's tech scene. Hello, folks, and welcome to this week's edition of the Tech London podcast. We just spent about three hours chatting before this podcast, so um, so we're gonna gonna try and get it all into one go today. I have uh, my new best friend, who's Exdean. What are you known for, and what would you what would you like to be known for, sir? Well, I think what I do is I'm a team architect in the sense that I help organizations design teams and make sure that they work well together. I don't always, as an architect, get a floor plan and something you build up from the ground up only. Sometimes you have to do some renovation work. And that's basically what I do. What I like to be known for, I'm damn good at it. Love it. And um, so we, we, were, we were kind of thrown together in a room in Ulsterhout. And what this episode is going to be, folks, is kind of like, um, I suppose, maybe reviewing or like chatting about the, the session our company had when... Um, we all met and we got Xdean in to work with us, who's a, a friend of a lot of people in the group. And that session was the first time we'd, there's one other person I've met in real life there. And it's the first time all our leadership team had met in the same place at the same time in person. So we've done a lot of Zoom, Zooming, teaming, Cisco-ing, but we hadn't done any like face-to-face. And I actually, I, I thought that was a, a gift to have one of the first things we do going through um, getting to know each other in person by doing the the personality tests and stuff like this. And what I'd like you to get out of this session folks is uh, the, I'm going to say the importance of relationships, but h- how would you explain what you did to us in <laughs> did to you? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like a, there was a whip cracked or something, you know, it's, um, I think what what from what it is for me is there's three aspects. One is who we are, and we're not going to change our past. We're not going to change what has happened to us up to this point in time. So who we are is who we are. So asking someone to change is like hitting your head against a brick wall and expecting it not to ble- your head not to bleed. You know, it's it's not going to happen. The other side of who we are is how we interact with others. And on that side, you have how you hear things and deal with things that you hear and how you say things. It sounds really simple, but how do you get a software engineer to tell you what's in his head in such a way that the rest of the team understands it? Or how do you get an engineer at the European Space Agency to tell a policymaker that they're actually talking through their backside, but in such a way that this guy does not take offense and gives them the right information and keep it simple enough so there's actually some action that takes place out of it. And that's where the speaking upside comes in and how to structure your communication. And then when it comes to the listening side, the only way we really grow is when we look at what we've done and see how we can do it better. 
And feedback is there probably the most important thing. We need to seek out feedback. I think one of the things that recently happened, I spoke to Hannes Leroy, he's a professor at the Erasmus um, Center for Entrepreneurship um, and at the Erasmus University. And he's did a recent meta study where they looked at leadership and they said that training where you focus on strengths is either neutrally or negatively correlated with leadership growth in the long term. So that means whenever you go to a training and people go like, oh, yes, you can, and they look at all the great stuff that you can already do, it's a feel-good exercise and it has no long-term benefit. And when you get discomfort, where you get confronted with things, that's where growth takes place. The problem is when we hear those things, we don't know what to do with it and we don't know how to deal deal with it and how to take it on board or to structure it in such a way that we can take it into a learning environment. And I think that's what we do. We, we help people to focus on how to go into a learning in stance or perspective um, when receiving feedback. We teach them how to speak up. And what I did with you guys is who you are. What are those things that motivate you, that drive you, that get you out of bed? You're like, you know what? I want to do more of this. Because when we get those passions out on the table, we know that performance follows passion. So if we know what the passions are, we can drive performance. And that's where we basically started with you guys. That, it was really a, what, what was the name of the we, we can put a link in the show notes to the test actually if that's helpful yeah sure um, um i'll give you a link that you can put on and people can link through to my version of that um, of the website there but it is the via character um survey so it's values in action so let's say it's quantifying your values and purpose driven actions and there's been more research done on this and applied positive psychology, which is a new area of psychology that was defined about 20 years ago. And I think any other area of psychology in the 60 years before that. And so the principle behind it is that it's not there to fix people. So within psychology in general, we're trying to find people, take people from a negative to a zero. So just get them back to from where the, there's an element that might be broken or that is not okay. And a lot of the psychology research has been about that. But you do an applied positive of psychology is you look at taking people from a zero to a one or to a two or a three to take them into the positive numbers and help them to grow. I think that's sort of where the shift is. And that, that survey is a good starting point to identify those things that can help you grow. And um, the like one of the two things I'm dying to shout out is like I I, I can't remember, it, was, it was like twenty lines came up on the thing and creative was quite low down for me and mm-hmm. one of the things that just saved me so much energy is that I I kind of had looked at it and was I was a little bit disappointed at first you know because I've always thought oh I'm so creative but actually I'm a really really good curator and I looked at everything I do. Um, even like what we're doing here is not, I'm not, I'm creating a podcast, but we're having a conversation, putting together information. But where I really struggle is coming up with ideas or, you know, Alex in our team, the founder is, is very creative and creates things out of thin air. And, um, and I, 
I really struggled to do that. So I just stopped trying to do that as a result and my energy shifted. So it's only been two weeks since we met, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, I have just become way more efficient with that little distinction. I think it's a very important one you make there. And, and it's also creativity is also a very important one to touch on. If you're constantly being creative, there's a million and one ideas, but no work gets done. Yeah, that so is a, that's an issue too. <laughs> so it's great to have one or two or a few creative people or get a group together and that, that can be creative. But some point at the back end of that, there needs to be an evaluation that's done to decide which things are we taking forward. Then that needs to be initiated, started, and then it needs to be completed. And there are different people that feel they are passionate about different aspects thereof. I mean, if you remind me, I'll say what I do is I can share a diagram with you that I did in my master's thesis, where I bring these things together, um, the via character and with something called grit. Um, Angela Duckworth. Correct. Angela Duckworth. She talks about high persistence and high passion. And there's basically two of these values in action that follow, fall into that persistence category. The rest all fall in the passion category. And that persistence element is usually how do people that start stuff and people that finish stuff or stick with it. All right. And there's not that many. It, it's really strange, but there's not that many people that can start stuff and finish stuff. And so those are really worth their weight in gold, especially in startups, because that's the way we get stuff done. And so do not sell yourself short when you say, well, I'm not the creative guy, but I'm the curator. You are worth more, I think, than a lot of creatives because you get the job done. We get it started at least. You know, those, both those things are really important. That, that's, that is exactly how I feel. Like uh, my energy has gone up because I've given myself permission to not come up with ideas and just like finish what we've done. And there's a load of stuff where I've been like, why, why did I start this? Cause you know, I, I sort of thought I had to start something. Um, and I definitely feel a, a shift in the, in the energy around our team. The, um, the other thing was that, like one of the, the huge values of doing that was, it's the first time we all met. So we were kind of excited about meeting. And I think maybe we were a bit more open to being guided because we were like, Oh, let's find out a bit more about each other. So it accelerated our connection, but then we were able to go. So, you know, Alex and Bernie are really good at the beginning and the very, very end, but they need someone like, you know, Jax or Tally to come in and work out the bit in the middle. So I like, I like strategy, but putting that strategy into a plan and turning it into a tasks, I am world-class shit at. And now I just don't feel bad giving that to someone else to do. And I think the people that take that away to do it are like, thank God he's just giving it to us because before we had to fight him all the time for it. But mm-hmm. can, can you say a bit about that kind of dynamic? Um. <clears throat> I think I'm going to quickly just jump through something and then get back to that. And that is Elena and Kim, um, these two coaches, consultants in the U.S., wrote a book called The CEO Next Door. And that basically touches on what you just said. And they they said there's four characteristics that great CEOs have. One is speed over precision. So make sure that you get a decision made. It doesn't have to be perfect, especially in startups, because we we learn 
as we go along. And so starting is imp more important. Then focus on the results. So get your stakeholders, everybody that works with you, to focus on the results. So what you were just saying, you said um, you basically give somebody else the job to do because they're actually going to be better at it. So that's why you employ people. That's why you have people in a team so that everybody can work together and the output is better, not your ego. And if you don't know how to do that, one of the first things you need to understand is process. So whatever doesn't come natural to people, you have to create a process for. And then delivering consistently. So always make sure that the stuff that you do is consistently delivered on time. I think people underestimate the example of time management when it comes to leaders. Leaders really need to be good at it. Um, because if you, don't, if you don't keep to the time, nobody around you is going to do that. If you set the example by everything can be late, why should they then deliver on time? And then the last one is ride the discomfort of the unknown, or what I like to call is dance in the middle of the storm. So whatever happens around you, though it doesn't matter how much of an upheaval is. For instance, now like that we have in with Corona, you have to create the eye of the storm for your people when whilst you're dancing in the storm. Actually, you're not the person that has the peace and quiet. They need it. And with that, create clarity. So creating that eye of the storm is done by creating clarity. So if you are good at curating stuff, combining stuff and creating a process or starting a process and getting people to work together, <clears throat> then that is your job. Make sure that people understand what needs to be done, what their requirements are, what their output is, and how to get there. I believe that as leaders, we're creators of hope and not of hopelessness. And my definition of hope, and it's maybe different from what people normally would understand, and it ties in with the Via Character Survey. Optimism is knowing there's a better solution out there or a better future out there. Hope is when you get the path to get there. And hopelessness is when you lose the path. So as leaders, we need to create hope. So we need to create those paths, and those paths have to be clear. So the clearer the path is from where I am now to the desired outcome that I'm trying to create, the more calm there is around me for the people that need to do the job. I've taken a bit of a roundabout route to explain that, but does that answer your question? That was that was even better than what I came for. Um, the the uh, that was great. I want, I want to I want to jump to um, what you said before we were on air about. Um, startups are constantly changing and people need recognition and clarity because that that's something we i mean it's, it's it's great fun but after a while it's like exhausting and very taxing on your mental health with the the constant change and that's one of the things that particularly from like january to august there was a lot of change and pivoting as we like to say in the startup world um to get where we are now and that was, you know, like people who are running companies, how do they how do they deal with that situation with the people in their teams? That's a huge question, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> I'm just also thinking that, that it's it, this, this word pivot. Um, I need to find a way to explain it into an acronym or something because I think the P is for panic. 
Um, it's usually when things go I'm really sick. wrong. And I'm really- sick. I'm sick of that word. Like every like last year, all anyone said is like, "You can pivot your business." You know, you were you were selling ice cream in a store. You can pivot to mail order ice cream, and and and, and yeah. yes, it's, it's exactly what you should do. But um, it became like the buzzword of uh, how to keep alive in coronavirus. I, I don't know if we have a better word yet. Maybe we should find one. But let's for now stick with pivot, and I would still stick with P is for panic, because that's usually where it happens. Um, this guy called Cotter, he writes about change and change management, and he says we need a burning platform to start off with. So that's usually where startups live, is on burning platforms. And that also means that we grab the closest thing we think might be a safety net, instead of taking a step back and actually looking at what do we really need to do. I think that is where leadership really comes in. If we if we understand that we're going we, we're going to have a situation that's going to cause panic and there's going to be problems, relationships we have with people will make the difference. Now, if you're a leader of a team, imagine that your voice is amplified by that role by about a factor ten. So, if you tell somebody they've done something bad. They're going to hear it as if they've heard it 10 times in a row. If you tell them that they've done something well, they're going to swell with pride. Now, there's hormones at the basis of this. There's everything from cortisol all the way through to serotonin that gets released and all these kind of things. But without getting into all the biological side of things, the my grandmother used to say, it doesn't take much to raise someone to say please and thank you. And when we look now at what especially thank you means within within human relationships, thank you is a way to give recognition, to say that which you've given me is precisely what I wanted. And it doesn't take a lot of effort to say thank you. If you make it specific, the impact improves. So if you, for instance, let's say somebody delivers a report to you and you go through the report with them and say, thank you, this is correct. Thank you, this is correct. Thank you, this is correct. Just go through the report and then highlight the things that need improvement, but focus on one thing, the one thing you think that person should be doing better or could be doing better and focus on that for a few weeks. And you will see that that thing improves got the saying in the Netherlands, what gets measured gets done. And that's part of it. But if you don't say thank you for the rest, the only thing the person hears is, I'm not good enough. Because all you're telling them is they're never good enough. And that breaks people. Yeah. I I am familiar with that. Um, Being broken and saying thank you. Um, What I want to like finish up in the in the mental health area because there's there's a it's it's been I don't know, it's an understatement to say it's been an, a challenging eighteen months and in in our in our team we've just managed it I think I think one of the things that's bonded us a lot is that we all got together in the middle of a pandemic so our we, we there was no time or energy for like talking about the weather. It was like what's going on, and people are in lots of different countries. And you know, like in South Africa, as you know, um, there'll be there'll be power cuts. Um, it's just 
part of everyday life and part of our teams in the Philippines and there'd be tsunamis and here in London, it's kind of, you know, the worst we have is Boris Johnson. And um, it's, you know, so we, we got to connect in a way that I've never connected with a group of people I'm working with either in person or remotely, but all of us right from the beginning, you know, we just made it okay to talk about struggling mental health and stuff like that. But um, what else would you advise people to do or, you know, and it's a very unique situation around um, mental health and work at the moment. I think I'm going to make it very practical. Okay. It is, there's all kinds of reasons and theories and stuff like that I can explain to you, but let me, let me make it very, very simple. We need a way for recognition, for recognition of who we are and that we belong. And the easiest way to get that done is doing a random act of human kindness. So literally do something for someone else that they cannot do back at you. I usually use the um, example of a cup of coffee, but I mean, on my website, um, we have about a hundred and one of these things that we've gathered over time and we're constantly building more. But a cup of coffee is a great example, I think, because it te- you, if you take somebody a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, I mean, you are in the UK after all. And although Boris Johnson might be a force of nature, as you just <laughs> described him, he's still not going to impact your cup of tea, I hope. So take the cup of tea and give it to someone. And just that simple act of giving them something means they feel seen and it releases oxytocin, which is part of that connectedness. If we then engage and just say, how are you doing? And give them at least five minutes to explain how they're feeling, what they're dealing with, what they're coping with. It's wondrous what that does. So that's on the side of connection. What you can do with family and friends or people that you're not afraid to hug is give them a hug. First thing in the morning, get up, give somebody a hug. The release of oxytocin for you, for the person, and for the kids seeing mom and dad hug is unbelievable what that does over a short period of time. And then the one thing that works better, I won't say better because I'm going to get some medics that's going to jump on me. Let's say very often just as well as antidepressive medication is something called a gratitude exercise. And it's simply writing down three things. We normally build it up, but I'm going to give you three things off the bat. Write down something at the end of the day that you're grateful for in your personal life. Somebody that you care about will feel love towards. Write that down. The next one is write something down that you're grateful for for someone at work or something that happened at work. And thirdly, write down something that you're grateful for within yourself. And you're not allowed to repeat anything in seven days. Usually it takes about 20 to 30 days and you have a mood shift, usually one or two points. It's, it's that powerful. What makes it even more powerful is if the following day, after you've written this down, tell those people that you wrote about what you're grateful for in them. If you, if it does not change the relationships that you're engaged with within 30 days, please call me. You're a case study. I really want to study because you're an exception that's proving the rule. That, that we, we, we do that in our house and that really works is, um, we, uh, being married to a clinical psychologist kind of helps yes. this, this, this happen in our house. But, um, the, we, we make a, 
it, it came from like sitting down and saying that when we were eating together. Um, and then kind of sometimes we forget, but like the practice is, is present in our, in our house. And it, it definitely has shifted particularly when, cause it's very easy to get irritable with a 10 year old, not getting out the door. And then when it's like, thank you for getting your shoes on so well, sounds like a bit cheesy and nuts, but, um, it, it is a really simple, positive reinforcement at the beginning of the day. Um, I'm still waiting for my wife to say thank you for getting dressed so quickly, Bernie, and making it out of the door. But you know, can't hope for everything. Um, we uh, we need to go, Eckstein, only because in like one minute thirty seconds, the uh, fire alarm is going to go in our co-working space here in London. Um, where can we find you online, sir? I'm on exponentially.me. So, being that you can, I'm sure you can spell exponentially and me. <laughs> in other parts of the world, this seems to be a bit of more of a challenge. Um, and the podcast is at podcast.exponentially.me. Brilliant. Um, I really, really appreciate, I really appreciate that time in Osterhout and I really appreciate you making the time today. Um, and we'll put links to all those things in the show notes, folks. And, um, just be careful out there. Take care of each other. It is a jungle. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Tech London Show. If you're interested in joining the community or even making an appearance on this show, make sure you join our Slack group over at techlondon.io. Till next time.